Hey, welcome everybody to That Recruiter Show with me, Rodney Stegall, and... Hey everybody, Julietta Bruzzi. Hope you're all having a great week. Um, Rodney's setting me up today um, <laughs> for the episode six, and I've... so. He's got something up his sleeve that I that I'm I'm bad. I don't follow the news as much as I should. Um, but apparently something happened and I don't know. So it's it's a doozy. So I'm getting set up here. Here's it's gonna be a genuine reaction. Yeah, you know, it's it's fun because and I think it's one of those things where uh, probably a lot of our listeners at this point have, have have either read about it, but maybe not heard the the actual content. But it's regarding Scott Adams, who's the the cartoonist behind the Dilbert cartoon. And, and that's what I mean, at least 30 years. Yeah, like cl classic, like cubicle culture cartoon. Yeah. I I never got into it, but let's be honest, like when's the last time you actually read a newspaper? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know what? My my um, when I was living in Philadelphia, I commuted on the train for seven years and they had the metro mm -hmm. and. I, that's the last newspaper. So it's been at least four years, but I would pick up that free paper every morning and I got my, I could do the crossword, the crossword in under two minutes. That was my, that was my claim to frame, claim to fame. That's amazing. Uh, oh my <laughs> well, God. It's not like a New York times. It's not like a New York times crossword, but that was my, that was my happy little moment as I woke up on the train. That's still impressive. In the morning. That's still impressive. <laughs> so now that being said, uh, you know, I'm going to preface and I'm going to set this clip up a little bit. And okay. so, so there is a company called Rasmussen and they do polling just like a Nielsen or anything like that. And yes, you know, to be honest with you, they set this poll up and it is complete rage bait. And, you know, what okay. they did was they asked people, you know, whether or not they agree a whole Likert scale, you, you somewhat agree, you agree don't know, just slightly disagree, strongly disagree. And the question and the statement was, it's okay to be white. That said, not everybody understands what that, what that statement is. Do you, are you familiar with that statement? Um, it's very elusive. Right. So, so on its surface, it's almost like, is it okay to be a white person? Right. Which yeah. is perfectly fine. No big deal. But if you don't know, that actually started on 4chan, which is a whole kind of uh, counterculture uh, site, right? So it's just like a message okay. board and stuff. And, and it was co-opted. Like a Reddit thing? Correct. But it's, it's like okay. extreme, like, you know, edgelord 13-year-olds on there, right? And oh, sounds like my demographic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that, no wonder I haven't heard of it. Right, right. And so so that got co-opted on, on Reddit and became like a far right thing. Right. So oh, like a very right wing and then neo neo Nazis started kind of posting it's okay to be white. So, you know, if you know that, oh. which I do, right? So if someone asked gave me that poll question, that pops into my head and I'm gonna say, No, I disagree with that because that's I understand what that what that statement means but i don't know whether rasmussen understood that or they you know whatever the reason was it came out yeah. and you know the results were fairly See, I didn't mixed know that context. i didn't know that context right. so i would have answered it very differently right and and i don't think anyone's addressing the content of the poll but it's it's one of those things where i i think you have to kind of look at those statements 
with a grain of salt, right? And and I don't yes. think Scott Adams did, and he took the bait, and he kind of went off and did his thing. So you know, with that, I'm gonna play what his reaction was to that poll. Okay. If you know, nearly half of all blacks uh, are not okay with white people, according to this poll, not according to me, according to this poll, uh, that's a hate group. That's a hate group. And I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I would say, you know, based on the current way things are going, the best advice I would mm -hmm. give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. Just get the f away. Get, where, wherever you have to go, just get away. Because there's no fixing this. This can't be fixed. Right? This can't be fixed. You just have to escape. So that's what I did. I went to a neighborhood where, you know, I have a very low black population. Because unfortunately, the, you know, there's a high correlation between the density. And this is according to Don Lemon, by the way. What do you think of that? Woof. Um, <laughs> wow. I, I mean, that's shocking. That was that was this month. That was a couple of days ago. It was like two days ago. Rodney, that's pretty shocking. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you know, the funny thing is, is that stuff doesn't just pop into your head all of a sudden. That's there. No. And I think the the thing that bothers me about statements like that is you have these elusive generalized thoughts and terms and you know this can't be fixed what is this what are you even talking about it's wild what is this it is so wild and apparently rodney i'm not supposed to live near you i know you're not supposed to live near me no like that we've the segregation that's literally been bypassed like last century yeah. Where are we t like uh, that's shocking to me and and you know i think the the unapologetic part by scott adams was the funny part because he's you know he's he's literally calling for segregation and doesn't understand what he's done wrong like in his mind he's just kind of like well cancel culture whatever yeah it's, it's i'm just it is and the reason i bring it up on our podcast right it's a business-oriented podcast dilbert drove you know, office culture for a while, it was kind of like a counterculture yeah. thing, right? Like, oh, this is a Dilbert moment. Yeah. And, and lo and behold, you know, meet the mind behind that. Right. So weird. And, you know, I think over time, people have just gone crazy with all this stuff. It's, I don't get it. But <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Well, that's the, that's, I don't know what he, and in that, so in that poll, if, if he's talking about the poll, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he said, half of black people don't like white people he's right? extrapolating that, that. he's extrapolating it i yeah. don't think it means that well that but... yeah i did people identify their race when they were answering that question i think so and and that's where where he came out is like he did the math and and so i'd have to go back and look at the exact numbers but between the people who agreed and you know slightly and strongly agreed it was like 47 percent. and do you really think less than half of black people think it's okay to be white. I mean, let's be serious. I mean, well, that's the thing too. None of us can change our ethnicity. Right. And there's so many ways to we... take that, right? Yeah. I mean, you can literally I... say like, okay, I'm, I would not want to be white. I've, I've spent all my, my life in my skin. I don't want to change. Yes. 
Like, so if, even in that context, it's like, no, I don't, I don't think it's okay for me. Like I'm, I like, I'm comfortable with who I am with in my skin. Yeah. So no, but, but knowing the context, right? Yeah. Remember there was that woman who was a leader of, um, I don't know if, was it NAACP or it was um, something it might've been the NAACP. Yeah. yeah. And she, she had said she identified as black, but she was not. Mm-hmm. And right. So, well, I mean, when that news story came out, like truly that's not, that's your DNA. That's not something that's, that's what you are. That's your makeup. That's not something that you can change, alter. I, I don't, I mean, I've never had a problem with, owning myself and who I am, but I don't know if, um, like, like Rodney, you're two or more races, but you've Mm -hmm. talked about the influence from both sides. And now you have Mm -hmm. children who, um, are even more mixed. And like with mine, it's, you know, they're, my children are all white, but we talk a lot about their influences in their life and different origins. And they've got, you know, a mix of themselves, albeit all white, but, um, I don't really, maybe this is more of a you question since I'm more homogenous. Like, do you identify more as something than not? Or do your children identify as something more than they're not? Or is that like a non-event in your household? It's a non-event. Like, yeah, it's, it's really weird. Like over, there are times when you're reminded that you're not like everybody else. And, and that hits home, like, because I don't go through my day thinking I'm this or that. And it's not until someone says something that I'm like, oh, well, yeah. you know, they're talking about me. And, y- you know, it's most of the time, you know, you're kind of appalled, right? Like, man, yeah. people make like the most ridiculous, like generalizations about people. And you just kind of like, Ugh. you know, they're talking about me, but it's not me. And a a lot of it comes around polls like this, like, oh, whether it's crime or, or, you know, even intelligence, right? People, people try to try to segment intelligence based on your, your race. Um, When in, you know, in actuality, if you look at socioeconomics, that's what's driving a lot of this stuff. And, and so I don't identify in my head one way or the other until it's, it's brought to me. Does that make sense? And my kids are even more oblivious to it than I am. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my girlfriend, my, uh, best friend in college, my roommate in freshman year, we were walking through, we went to Penn state and there was a, you know, the central place called the hub and we're walking through and a parent came up to her. Um, she is, she's Chinese, but she's like eighth generation American. Um, but so like been, been in the United States longer than I have. And so this woman comes up to her and, uh, we're chit chatting and she looks at her. She's, she's shorts. She gets on her level. This woman, she goes, do you know where the bathroom is? No. And I look at my girlfriend. I'm like, why is she talking to you like that? And she's like, oh, it's right over there. And the woman was like, oh, oh, okay. Great, thank you. <laughs> And to me, I was like, what was wrong with her? And she was like, she didn't think I spoke English. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you're more American than I am. You've been here longer than me. Like, just because, like, yes, visually, she's Chinese. So you know what you know. And that was my first time when I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's, 
an unbelievable assumption that I've never experienced in, in my life. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's not really there until it's like to you. Yeah. And it's always subtle. Like the most common one I used to get was you speak so well. And uh, that's like, oh. that's pretty frustrating. And I haven't had that in a, in a long time. I think people know better now, but oh man. But even, you know, in the last probably 2017, this happened, um, it, br it was brought to my children. And that's when I, I, you know, I usually let that stuff just roll off my back. I don't care, but because it happened to my kids, I was pretty pissed off. And they came home from school. Well, my son came home from school and he was in elementary school at the time. And he goes, dad, um, are we moving to Mexico? And I was like, uh, no, what, what makes you think that? And he's like, the kids at school were telling me that after president Trump is in office, he's going to make you go to Mexico and we have to go with him. And I was livid. Livid. How old was he? He was probably in the fifth grade. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's not like these, you know, these are 10, 11 year olds. I mean, you don't have Mexican descent at all. How no. did they come up with Mexico? I, it's just, no. I mean, it sounds like, it, it does sound like half boy banter, just not even knowing what to say and half like what on earth are your parents talking about in your home? In your, in your home. That's, and that's the thing, right? So I don't, I don't think that's, that's too complex a statement for, for kids that just come up with it. Yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, but you know, at the same time, I don't tell people cause I don't want to, you know, I don't know anybody's history. So this person may be reformed or whatever, but you know, one of the, the people who worked at aftercare at school, um, yes, she had neo-Nazi tattoos and she hid them, but every once in a while you could see it. Like she had like an SS tattoo yes. on the back of her neck. And so, you know, if she did something, you could see it. And I was just like, this is weird. Like there's, and, and again, you don't know any different. And, and so she may be, a, you know, that may have been a useful thing. And, and to be honest with you, uh, years later, after I saw that, I got to know her and she seemed like a lovely person. Her son spent the night at my house. And so, you know, I, I just had to just make the assumption like, Hey, look, this is a good person that might've gotten into some bad things when they were younger, changed their mind, but they've got permanent reminders of it. And you know, that's that. I think there's an intent thing too. Um, like, so there's, I'll, I'll bring up a, a story about my, my grandmother, Franny, amazing woman. She lived till she was 98 years old mm -hmm. and she grew up in Virginia. Very different time, obviously growing up in Virginia, you know, over, she passed about two years ago. So hundred years ago in Virginia, very different place than today. So, so we were at my cousin's wedding in gosh, late nineties, early two thousands, I guess it was early two thousands. And, um, my, um, cousin had a black man in his wedding party mm -hmm. and he was very nice, magnanimous, great guy, outgoing, came talk to me and my grandmother for a little bit. And he walked away and she said, gosh, he is really nice for a black boy. And I said, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I said, okay. I said, Gam, um, Gammy, I love you. I said, you can't really say that anymore. And she said, what should I say? She said, I thought I was, I was being nice. I said, I know I understand. I said, you should just say, 
he's a really nice boy. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah. She's like, I get that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, totally good. But like a hundred years of religion. Yeah. Really nice for a black boy. She like, that's pretty normal commonplace. And then she said it, you know, 85, 90 years later. And I, that just that little bit, she didn't mean anything by it. She had no idea that she was even saying something that would be off color. Um, but as soon as I said it, she was like, huh, okay. I can deal with that. All good. <laughs> if you bring that back to this situation, I think we all accept deep down we're, we're flawed individuals, right? I think yeah. no one expects perfection, except for the person we're, we're probably going to talk about here in a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, if, if you bring that back to this situation, if he had said, you know what, I'm, I'm reading and I'm, I'm kind of absorbing the comments that people are making and I'm wrong. And here's why I'm wrong, because and here's why I said was wrong. I think everybody, myself, I would just kind of chalk it up and say, okay, maybe he's learned his lesson. Let's, let's move on. But when you kind of double down on that and say, you're not addressing my, my points, that tells me you wholeheartedly believe it and probably have believed that for a long time. And, and so, you know, freedom of speech, say what you want. Cool. No problem. But at the same time, we are a society. And while you say what you want to say, the rest of us are free to show you the door. And I think that's what we just did. We just showed the guy the door. Yes. And approach things. Look, I've at times in my life had a very insular experience growing up in a you know, predominantly white area, um, had a very a more rural, bucolic childhood um, in Pennsylvania. And I very much know, I don't know everything, but I try and approach things with respect and curiosity to to understand. But I don't think that that comes from a race-based thing. I think it's just how you're supposed to treat human beings. And there's times when I worry today that we almost stir the pot on our own. Talk a bit too much about it. It's it's advantageous. If if you if you know how you can take advantage of it and it's, it's kind of slicing and dicing. If you work in a field or you, you require support, it's very easy to slice and dice. People gain that, that trust of just this segment mm-hmm. and that segment's all you need. Um, yes. You know, whether it's your, it's because it's an attention based economy. If we wanted to, we could kind of go down that road and say, we only want these people. And we're going to talk to those people. We're going to tell them what they want to hear. And, and we're going to get their support. And that's all we need. That's what you can do that today. But at the same time, you step out of that bubble and it no longer works. And, and you know, one of the things that's glaring about you to me as, as you know, coming from where I am, is that you don't pay attention to that kind of thing. And no, I don't. Yeah. Like, if, if you were to say something, I would chalk it up to like, you know, Juliet probably just doesn't know. Like, she doesn't, she yeah. didn't live that experience. Like, let's say we're talking about Mongolians or something, you know, I would just say, I don't know. She probably doesn't know either, but that's, I mean, I think that's glaringly beautiful about you. Right. So, and I, and I think, you know, that, that comes out with people versus, you know, people who are malicious about it. Like, and, and, you know, coming back to my history, right. My family, my family actually got here in the 1600s. 
the Stegall portion of my family. And they came from England. Um, and so one of my relatives did a, a family history that it went back to like the 1400s in England. And so we wow. got, we got here in the 1600s. Um, actually one of my, one of my, uh, uh, ancestors was killed the first serial killer in the United States. His name was Moses. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pretty interesting story. Um, there's, there's a, a place called Harpshead, Kentucky, and it is because my, my ancestor Moses, um, caught and killed one of America's first serial killers. There were a pair, there were two cousins, um, and he hung his head from a tree. And so that is called Harpshead, Kentucky, where he hung the head. Wow. Yep. Um, but you know, at, at the, so there's, there's that, but I acknowledge that was a white tree line of, of my family tree. And yes. at some point in the 1860s, um, Fountain Fox de Gaulle out of Somerset, Kentucky, um, he had a child with one of his slaves and yeah. that became the black side of the family tree. Perfect. You know, I get it. Like he raised that child, gave him 30 acres, said, you're on your own, which is, you know, that's better than most at that, at that point in history. Um, but if you go to, to Somerset, Kentucky now, you'll see black stagalls and white stagalls. And at one point we went for a family reunion in maybe 2010 or something like that. And my brother's married to a white woman. She was in a store, said, said her name and presented like her ID for whatever. And the person behind her goes, do you know that there are black stagalls? <laughs> and she was like, I do. Oh I do know that. Um, but that's America. You know what I mean? Like then my dad, who's of, of mixed ancestry. Did she say I married one? <laughs> she didn't. She didn't. She didn't. Um, you know, it's funny when we're, when I was really young, we got our tires slashed in, in Somerset, Kentucky. Oh my God. Because my brothers were at a, at a dance club or whatever. And they were talking to like a white girl. And lo and behold, we came out because guys were like trying to start fights in the club and, you know, got diffused. Yeah. But we came Where out. Where was this? This was 1986-ish, 85-ish. In what state? In Kentucky. In Kentucky. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, after that, that argument happened, came out, all four slack tires were slashed. But, you oh, know, what a pain. I, I was a kid. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, yeah. why'd they do that? But. You know, it, it, I think that's America. If you accept the fact that we, we live in a very diverse community, whether your community is your state, your city, your neighborhood, and you just accept yes. that, you kind of let it happen. And you, you, you literally accept people based on the content of their character. And, and yeah, you have to stop generalizing, right? That's the only way to get yes. by with any sanity. Cause yeah. When you start trying to predict behavior based on like physical traits, <laughs> it's like, right. You're going to go insane. You're going to go insane. I'm not, I'm also, um, <laughs> I'm thinking about people who have like, when I present myself, I don't think of like the qualities of, of who I am as in the white or the, I like, I think I, I'm a proud woman. 
I'll, I'll, I will say that, but my ethnicity, not so much, but I, it's German heritage. So like German pride kind of went out of uh, good graces a, a bit ago. So, <laughs> Fair. Uh, I, I don't know if that's... <laughs> I don't know if that's a little bit of the, the that that piece in me that's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't, you know, be broadcasting like, oh my god, you're German, I'm German. Oh my god, we should hang out. Like, yeah, but I got us in trouble a little bit ago, so I don't know. But but I think that's like the the prototypical lesson learned is Germany and and Japan. Yeah. And you know, I, I think we're probably in a rough patch. I, I'd call it a rough patch in here in the U.S. Yeah, I think so. With relation, I, and I think we've got some lessons to learn, but I think we're still kind of in the fever right now of it. But I, I think it would be, I think you should be proud of being German. Germans Germans are cool, man. And Germans have a word for everything. Literally everything. I love it. Yes, I know. The um, One of my favorites is Freudenfreud. What's Freudenfreud? Do you know, it's um, so everybody knows um, everybody knows Schadenfreude, which is uh, the joy of relishing in someone's pain. Right. But Freudenfreude is the joy of relishing in someone's joy. <gasps> I so, love it. Yeah. So you you know Rodney, when when you accept your new job and we have so much to celebrate, I will have so much Freudenfreude for you. I love Freudenfreude. Celebrating the joy. Yeah. That's my favorite. That's my word of the day is Freud and Freud. I'm going to search out yeah. Freud and Freud. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. I talk to my kids about it a lot too. Cause you know, kids are innately competitive beings mm -hmm. and you know, self-centered for, for reason. It's how, it's how they survive. But, um, I think it's so important to teach that to kids too. experience the joy of what others have in their joy. I love it. I love it. It's so yeah, I think um, Scott Adams needs some Freud and Freud. We'll we'll move on from him, but I yeah. think that was uh, I I thought that you'd enjoy hearing that because it's so shocking that that exists, right? To hear that just like out in the open is crazy. But speaking it's, of it's unbelievable. Speaking of crazy. Oh yes, good. Uh, hey, nice hit on that transition. <laughs> Love it. Well, it is crazy though. It, well, it is crazy to me. So, uh, you know, we mentioned we would, we would talk about this and, and really what it is, is I read an article, I shared it with you, that uh, there was a woman who was dating an engineer and I guess their relationship wasn't, wasn't in a place where she was happy. And so she put her boyfriend or fiance, I don't know what it was, on a pip. <laughs> yes. And which is, um, for those of you who may not know, it's a performance improvement plan. And a performance improvement plan is probably the most like corporate way I can think of to approach your relationship. <laughs> yeah. So um, if, if anybody wants to read it, we'll post it um, when we put everything up. But um, it was New York Post. So Rodney, you read the post. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I got that off of Reddit. I just kind of, it was a okay, random Reddit it. post. Um, the title is I put my boyfriend on a performance improvement plan to save our relationship. And then there is a woman filming herself talking about why, uh, on a TikTok. So we'll put this up when we, when we put it up, but, um, what was your reaction to that? Uh, <laughs> well, I do always try, I know headlines are fishy at, mm -hmm. at best. So, um, 
like you like what did you what would you say you said earlier attention um, economy oh, rage bait. oh yeah it was rage, uh, bait. rage bait. yeah <laughs> so <laughs> so this the headline was like all right i gotta read this so the the thing that stuck out to me um her comment at one point said before you come at me i know it's kind of harsh to some of you but he's an engineer and sometimes it's really hard to communicate with him without using something that he can already relate to plus he kind of liked it um <laughs> <laughs> my first reaction, my first reaction is you're 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 not supposed to be a manager or a mother. You're supposed to have a partner. This doesn't sound like a partnership. That was that was my reaction. That's funny that you say that because that was kind of what I was thinking. And I think you've you know you expanded on that a little more clearly than it was a feeling for me, which is uh-huh. putting your significant other on a performance improvement plan is a relationship it says something about your relationship dynamics, right? It's yes. it's like saying I'm a boss of my yeah. significant other, which is a very weird thing to me. Right. And and so like approaching your relationship like you're managing it is just that that is just wild to me. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I've also never been like the, you know, there's the old like honeydew list mm-hmm. and the, like oh here's your weekend tasks or like the one person's managing you know the full family calendar and is driving the ship like yeah there's some things that in your when you're a couple there's some things one person's really good at others are better at others but it's all a balance and you pick up what you can and what you like and sometimes like like yeah it's not a it's not a list it's not your to-dos it's not a management 100 percent. And, and i think one thing that that my wife and i kind of got out before we even really got serious was i am me and you are you let's approach mm-hmm. that from there and and i'm not going to try and change you you're not going to try and change me if we're in love you have to love me and i have to love you warts and all and you know we found a balance between everything like I cook, she cleans, she's, I cook, she's sous chef, you know, that kind of thing. Like if I wash something, I'm going to shrink it or I'm going to bleed the colors. I'll fold, but (laughs) don't, you don't want me doing some stuff. (laughs) Yes. Right. Right. And and I think some couples, yeah, some people, some people, there's an emotional balance that drives a relationship. Right. So, um, yes, that could go into an unhealthy territory, but you know, maybe, someone is is so supportive and and that balance is part of the relationship i'm not saying it should be everything or anything like that i'm just saying that there's that aspect of it there's the yin and yang side but man i I, what would you do if brian came home and said juliet um i've documented some of your behaviors and i'm gonna have to put you on a performance improvement plan and if these things don't change in 90 days it's over like, <laughs> I would be like, you've lost your damn mind, and here's my list. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think it's almost like if someone did that, wouldn't that kind of be like, yeah, yeah, the first thing I would do is that would put me on the defensive, and I'd start checking receipts like, well, what about you? <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, my God. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think the um, that's so funny that the other thing and we, we can relate this to a bit more of a work environment. There's this. Um, 
and look, I've never been in a relationship with an engineer, but from a working relationship perspective, that comment that she makes that he's an engineer and it's really hard to communicate with him. I've actually never really experienced an engineer. Like I've supported engineering for much of my career and I've never found somebody who's like, God, I just like, can't work with this person. I can't talk to this person. I can't mm -hmm. like, I've never really gotten that stigma or that that uh generalization yeah i, I don't know i yeah. found engineers are just fine yeah and you know i think <laughs> if, if anything it's people it comes back to what we we're saying earlier like you have to take people as individuals and yes everyone has their own style of communicating and that's it that's you know i think so so rather than communicating them as a quote-unquote engineer maybe you need to figure out how to communicate with John Doe, whoever, whatever his name is, and start from there yeah. rather than putting the guy on a pip. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I've and I've I think pip is such a loaded term um, in just the general business world. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, well, we didn't even touch on. Um, you sent me another article um, earlier the week in the week, and I want to. Yes. Yep. So uh, finance.yahoo. Meta gave thousands of employees per poor performance reviews to clear the way for more layoffs. Yeah. Um, so do you want to kind of give the the, the rundown of like the usual, like the, 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 the bell curve and all that kind of stuff? And Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think coming back to it, right. I think now it's ubiquitous. Everyone uses the stack rank, rank system, which I... I you know, so I'll, I'll start there, right? That was that was Jack Welch at GE started really yes. adopting that. And the idea behind it is you have a normal curve or a Gaussian curve. And, you know, 68% of your people are within the 50, 50th percentile. Those are your kind of average folks. And then everyone else is either above or below that. And the idea of a stack rank system is you take your employees and you create based on your employee population that populate that that curve and what you want to do is let go of your bottom five percent performers and then you know that helps you in your total reward system and distribution and things like that and, and the idea that you're not having to reward five percent of your of your employees because they're low performers that goes to your high performers and it kind of balances everything out the problem is is that here we are 20 30 years later and we've gone out of control and, um, and I think that's human nature. Like we start gaming things and the idea that if you take a company like Meta and let's, let's come back and say they've already laid off 10,000 people. And I'm very sure that they didn't like lay off high performers at that point. Right. You, you, you know, the natural course of things is you start laying off redundant roles and low performers. So you've already let go of 10,000 uh, 10, people. Now you have done a performance management system where you say of what's left, we are now 10% low performers, which to me, you know, check me if, if I'm being wrong here, that is so arbitrarily wrong. Like yeah. to just say 10% of, of what's left of your company are low performers, that is such BS. And I think that's where the gaming comes in. 
And that middle management that gets stuck with having the conversation of, I mean, I'm, I'm putting myself in the shoes like, okay, yes, you are meeting the qualifications of your role. Mm -hmm. And yes, you are hitting the KPIs that we've indicated. So then does the conversation go like, well, sorry, you're just not overachieving. You're just not going above and beyond, and that's your new expectation. I mean, does that then translate? Like, can, can or you know, are there lawsuits where you might, you know, I was not fired for cause. I was doing what I was supposed to do, and now I'm being let go. I, I just, I don't even know what kind of song and dance we'd have to make up to make people feel that way. Yeah, it's a, it is a song and dance. You know, I've, I've been around long enough to see it happen and there are merits to that system. And, you know, prior to being in that type of system, you, you saw people who could just skate by and mm -hmm. they probably shouldn't have been at the company, but using that stack rank system forces managers to, uh, you know, assess people at a, at a low performer and, and kind of either move them up or out. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's a merit to that. Now, then you start getting into the nuances of, is that really 5% of your company or, or what is it? And then you start to, to look at that over a 10,000 pop, 10, person population and you start arbitrarily saying, well, of 50, you have to have 10 or you know five low performers. Now you're in the song and dance of, you just gotta pick people's number because if you are doing what you do as a, as a leader and you've, you've got a good team, someone has just told you no matter what, you now have to have to start working out five people. That is, is where I start to have a problem with this system. Um, because you literally, you have people meeting their KPIs, doing what, what they're supposed to do, they're producing, but now you have to nitpick and find a reason. And that is wrong in my mind, right? And when you're in recruitment and there's hiring pause, so obviously there's no work to be done, mm -hmm. then how do you even manage rate and stack rank people who have no work to produce? Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's a, it's a song and dance. You start to find reasons, right? They may have done everything that has been asked of them, but that's when you start to come into, well, you know, this person had this blow up with this person. So I'm going to come back and say they can't collaborate or, um, mm -hmm. you know, they had this project that, that didn't quite go well. And so I'm going to ding them for that. When in actuality is nobody's hundred percent on anything and comes back to what we were talking about earlier. We're all flawed human beings and we have to accept that. And you have to give people a little bit of grace, but I think it, when you have these systems, in place, you are doing the exact opposite. And especially if yes. your team is doing well and executing, meeting their goals, you now have to come back and and just completely nitpick people over, over things that are not even relevant to them meeting their goals, but it becomes the impetus to give them a, a, a performance rating that has been, as a, as a leader, it's been right. forced on you. So like, no, you got to, because then you get into calibration meetings where you kind of look and say, oh, wow, as a group, we're, we're like five off of where we need to be, you know? Yeah. And then 
next thing you know, your skip level is like saying, no, 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 this, you need to have two more. Or I, I don't agree here. This person needs to be an L. And you're like, you don't even work with them. <laughs> yeah, which is then so far removed. Exactly. Yeah. Because you don't even work. With them. Right. Because as a leader, what does that do? Right. That puts you in a position to yeah. where someone has assessed them who doesn't even know their work. But yes. you have to deliver that message. And and how do you do that when you don't stand by it? Now, tell me if there's another strategy to this. I take it as if you're putting these people in that low quadrant and say that they're not meeting their goals and, and or getting dinged on X, Y, Z for the company because it's documented, they can be let go without severance because of poor performance. And therefore, there's money saved by the company for not having to give a payout. No, I mean, severance and everything really gets dictated at the corporate level by whatever your policies are. But but what this does in the long yeah. term is it does remove that headcount. So, you know, I'm not saying that, that you know, in this case, Facebook is going to try and get rid of all 10,000. But let's say of 50% of those, that's 5,000 more heads that they can drop. And and they're already kind of on this binge of, they're they're calling it a year of efficiency or something stupid like that. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh God. How so, heartwarming. Yeah. It's just, it's just the <laughs> impetus. Right. And, and then if you're doing that, it's not a layoff. So you're, you're not dealing with, with notifications or things like that it, because it's performance related. So you don't have to mm. deal with like Warn Act kind of things. Um, and gotcha. it, it, it becomes, you know, for all intents and purposes, it becomes a sham way. And, and a shadow layoff without calling it that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the gaming behind it. And and that's what I, I think is disingenuous to me. It is. It's pretty. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, you, no, you it's true. Me I will. <laughs> I'll, I'll take care of you. But like, I, that's where, you know, again, at the face of it, I don't have a problem with, with stack ranking if it's done fairly because you're going to have some high-performing yeah. departments that don't I have people. That. And, you know... And I actually think it... And I don't know if you've ever done this. There's there's, there's probably even, like, different ways you can stack rank mm -hmm. people based on, you know, performances vast. You've got... Potentially, you've got leadership principles. You've got actually delivering the results that you need to... Um, Project management, I mean, I'm just talking mm -hmm. relevant to, to recruitment and you, a stack rank is almost like a false positive, like the people at the top, yes, they might be the best at delivering results, but are they the best project managers or are they best, you know, trainers and things like that? And it's always, it's always kind of missing the point on the well-roundedness of somebody's performance. Yeah. And, and well, I think there's the idea too, that people just completely dismiss, which is, you can take a, a distribution and shift it right or left. So in a, in a company like Meta, you've done probably a lot of hiring that shifts your performance base to the right, to toward a higher performing organization because of your standards anyway, and the fact that you have the money to, to go out and get this talent. So you've shifted it to the right already. And, and now you're, you're kind of forcing a distribution on high performing individuals relative to their mm -hmm. counterparts in the industry. That is, that is what awes me. So you have taken, you know, 
quite literally, you know, a very good workforce and then said, these five or 10% people aren't cutting it. When in actuality, in most other companies, they're going to be probably on the higher end of the performance in most companies. Right. That's the piece that like, I'm like, look, just be honest with people and say, look, we've, we've got to further reduce our headcount and we're going to reduce it. And you I might, agree. you might be doing what you're supposed to do, which is, you know, makes this more regrettable, but this is what we're going to do. We're adults. Yeah. Let's do it. You know what I mean? Like, okay. I agree. I agree. More transparency. I, I had like two, there, there were two analogies, you know, when we were kind of going through rounds of layoffs, it was like, on one hand, some days it felt like you were like riding a mechanical bull mm -hmm. and you didn't know when you were gonna get bucked. Um, and then on other days, it felt like we were just like, I, I, I'm not trying to equate us to this, but you know, cockroaches hiding under a rock, like, okay, <laughs> just stay out of sight. <laughs> we'll be fine. <laughs> right. Out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, I think that yeah. was the writing on the wall. I was just like, for me at that point, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't see a lot of work here in my future. Um, which is, you know, again, I'm a, I'm an adult about it. I'm not going to cry, cry about it. I'm not going to go cry in my beer. Yeah. What would I be doing anyway? Um, I'm just going to move on. And I, I think at least being treated that way, like there's no work. So here we go. Or, you know, we're trying to get, we need to get to X headcount and we're 10,000 over. I'm sorry. I mean, this is going to catch some great people, but this is what we're going to do. I think that treats people like adults, but, but to, to just kind of arbitrarily say, we're going to find a reason to get rid of you. And a, you're playing with people's heads, right? That's 10,000 human beings that you've just told. Don't, you know, meet expectations. And for, it's, it's a pretense to do this kind of shadow layoff. And, and that's what I think is, is probably a, the wrong thing to do. In my opinion, I don't know what you think. But yeah, you know what I mean? You know, I think there's a, it's, it's all about a, you're, you're creating a pretense to, to play with people's lives that, that I think is bad. Yes, I agree. So, so go ahead. I interrupted there we you. Are. We had some good... <laughs> no, it's good. We are, um, you had a blip and then I had a blip, um, but I think we had some good content today. I'd love to hear what other people think about um, some of these articles. We can post it out on our on our page um, about Scott Adams and how Meta's handling things. And um, also, if your significant other approached you with a pip, <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's a good poll. <laughs> yeah, to get off this pip, yeah. Juliet, you must make dinner. Four days a week for the next 90 days, <laughs> if you want to get off this pip. And, and it has to be of a certain quality to where I compliment your dinner. Otherwise, we may have to, we may have to end this. <laughs> well, said person will have to clean up said dinner four nights a week. <laughs> <laughs> a little spicy, Rodney. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, thanks for everybody, you know, for listening. I, I appreciate you guys. Um, I think it's it's wonderful. I, I love, you know, the fact that uh, you guys are, are listening and just want to say thank you. 
and uh, Juliet. Yeah, thank you, gang. And for our closer, as always, thank you for listening to That Recruiter Show. <laughs>